you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. Chris Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com. Thechrisvossshow.com. Hey, we're coming here with a great podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We certainly appreciate you. The Chris Voss Show family, the family that loves you but doesn't judge you in the way that other families do. That makes us the best kind of family. So we welcome you with open arms today. As always, refer the show to your family, friends, and relatives. Go to youtube.com, forward Chris Voss. Tell them to go to iTunes and subscribe. Go to goodreads.com, forward Chris Voss. See everything we're reading and reviewing over there. Also go to, let's see, all of our groups on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, all those crazy places the kids play. Uh, you know the drill. The big LinkedIn newsletter. Holy crap, I just popped in there and it picked up 50 new subscribers in one day. That thing is like growing by the thousands. It's amazing. Also our big LinkedIn group, 132,000. Go follow that over there as well to see what we're doing. Uh, LinkedIn is like, it's really hot right now as they, as they tend to say in Zoolander. Uh, anyway, guys, we have another author on the show with us today. He's the author of the newest paperback, The Last Keeper, December 8th, 2021. This just came out. J.V. Hilliard is going to be on the show with us, and this is going to be a book of a series. So there's going to be a whole mess he's coming about that he will be talking to us about. About himself, his bio, he was born of steel, fire, and black wind. J.V. Hilliard was raised as a Highlander in the foothills of once great mountain chain on the confluence of the three mighty rivers that forged his realm's wealth and power for generations. We'll have to find out where that's at. His father, a peasant twerg, toiled away in industries of honest labor and instilled in him a work ethic that would shape his destiny. I feel like I should be like reading this as like someone from WWE. His mother, a local hero, cared for his elders and his warrior uncle who helped him raise, helped raise him during his formative years. His genius brother, whose wizardly prowess allowed him to master the art of the abacus and his own quill, trained him for battles on fields of green and sheets of ice. Welcome to the show, JV. How are you? I'm doing well, sir. How about you? Sorry about that bio. Yeah, that's a fun, that's a fun bio, and it, it kind of matches with your brand. So where where is the realm of the three mighty rivers? Well, if anybody knows me and can figure it out by some of the hints that I dropped into the bio, I'm from Pittsburgh. Oh, so, of course, go. the three rivers of Pittsburgh and the mighty confluence of the rivers. And, of course, my father was a peasant twerg, which meant he worked in a steel mill. My mother was a healer, so she was a nurse. So I, I, I decided to, to write my bio in a way that was just as fantastical as, as the epic fantasy stories that, I, that I'm writing and have written. And I look at myself as someone who lives in the realm of Warminster. And as a chronicler of the events there, I figured it would be pretty fun to throw myself uh, into the role of one instead of just having a, a standard author bio and boring people to death. There you go. There you go. So uh, give us your .com where people can look up you on your website, find out more about you, join your mailing list, all that good stuff. Yeah, sure. So jvhilliard.com is the website. And then the social media stuff is at jvhilliardbooks. And if you go to that on TikTok, Twitter, or Instagram, you'll find me at Facebook. You'll find me at JV Hilliard. 
There you go. So what motivates you want to write this book? And I guess tell us uh, that it's going to be a series and how that works. Yeah, sure. So in my genre of books, which is epic fantasy or, or sword and sorcery, oftentimes it's very difficult for an author to write a singular book. And, and in part, it's because as you go through the process of writing it, you're creating the world. And readers of that genre expect multiple books because they don't want to just be left behind with you know one story, right? And so if I, you and I were writing a spy novel, I can say that Chris got into a car and drove down the street. Here, I might have to describe what the street looks like. Is it made out of cobblestone? Is it made out of, uh, you know, something magical? Or, you know, is it being pulled by horses? Or is it being pulled by a hippogriff or whatever? And so there's a lot of world building that goes into that. And as a result, you oftentimes will see series of books in my genre. So fans of things like uh, Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit or Game of Thrones or, or Dungeons and Dragons are folks that would, you know, enjoy my, my, my novels. There you go. What's what did you say? A hill. You said you said a word there of something that I I didn't recognize. Hey, it went by me. So so you're you're making this into a series. Is this your very first book? It is. It's my first novel, and I didn't really have a whole heck of a lot of time to do it. My over the last twenty years, I've spent a lot of time in D.C. as a as a lobbyist. My professional wow. career, I do mostly defense and technology work. But when COVID hit, D.C shut down. And I had a lot of time to sit at my house. And my wife pointed at my den and said, you're not doing nothing. Go in there and do something. And so I decided to write the book that's been rattling around in my head since I was a teenager. And then I shared it with a, an associate professor friend of mine and an editor friend of mine. And they both thought it was publishable. And they made a mutual introduction for me to um, the publishing company, uh, Dragon Moon Press, who, if you can tell by the name, sounds like it's just very genre specific, which it is. And they picked up the story. But in my discussions with the publisher, she said, look, I'm not just going to do one. You got to do at least three. And so we're, we're up to four right now. I've got uh, the seconds in editing and the third is about halfway done. Oh, wow. That's awesome, man. You're prolific. The, the, uh, the COVID was really good for authors. <laughs> Even I got my first book done. I was trying to get it done for 10 years. I finally got it done in COVID. So, yeah, no, uh, it's the silver lining of it all, right? I mean, a, <laughs> this horrible menace that creeps across the world, you know, and uh, the only thing we're missing is blood, rain, and frogs. I won't curse you, sorry. But, you know, I'm sitting in my house. I'm like, you know, Don't give anyone ideas. Yeah, like, what am I going to do here, you know? And so, you know, I, I had been, you know, working on something like this for a while. It's It started when I was... A young kid, uh, and, and if you can't tell, I'm, I'm kind of nerdy. And a lot of my friends are the kind of geeks that play Dungeons and Dragons and love the Star Wars and Star Treks and Lord of the Rings. And so for us, you know, I, I got some of the ideas from campaigns that we had led through tabletop role-playing games or mm. uh, through us just having, you know, just creative writing sessions. And then over the years, I just held on to the stuff. I didn't do anything with it. And all of a sudden, that opportunity presented itself. And like you and, and others... I used that time productively to, to, to start the series. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a good time. You're like, Oh, I'm not doing anything else. You know, you can't catch COVID doing this. Yeah. All the lifting little... weights I do, you can tell, right? This, that's what I was yeah. doing in my basement. That's <laughs> what I started to do. At the end of the <laughs> Two days, right? Yeah. <laughs> it was kind of funny. I joined a gym, I think in August and it was right before that, that, uh, Onicron rounded up and I go to the gym and I have it all to myself. And, uh, you know, I, I usually go in the evenings too. And, but I just be like, I have a whole gym to myself. No one is, everyone's scared to come here except for me. And 
<laughs> I just have like the whole gym to myself. And I loved it until like about a month or two ago. I was like, why the hell are all these people at my gym? Like, where, yeah. where do they come Kick from? Kicking on my machine. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like I, used to, I used to have this whole place to myself. And then I realized, I'm like, oh, yeah, that COVID thing seems to be kind of over. So Yeah, and I had culture shock. I was in D.C. with a client last week, and they finally started to allow people to come and visit on the yeah. Hill. And the way that you used to do it is you would go to the front door of the building you needed to go in, and they would take you through a scanner, and then you were off on your own. And you could walk between buildings, and there was freedom. This time, you had to call ahead and have someone come down and escort you really? from the front to get your credentialed and then take you up to the office, and they had to bring you back down. Even if you had another meeting in the same building, you had to go back outside, call them, and then come back in. And it was... You know, I, I don't know how sustainable that is, but it, in the end, it was... Uh, I, I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to protect everybody, but, you know, it's it's... The same kind of experience, except inverted, that you had at your gym. <laughs> yeah, that's that's crazy. I saw that they opened, I think, uh, to tours, limited tours, finally, after two years, where, where pub, the public can go in there. But it's, like, limited. Yeah, um, D.C. is such a big tourist town. I mean, that kind yeah. of stuff is just got to be crippling it. Yeah. I heard they won't let you take uh, Speaker Pelosi's lectern anymore. Evidently, that's Yeah, it. yeah I think that's off limits. Uh, I think <laughs> some people learned that lesson the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> By good measure. So let's yeah. talk about this book. What's, uh, what, what, who, what, what's, give us a tease. I know the one challenge we have with novels is you can't tell us too much. They can't, right. <laughs> my novels can never tell me the ending. My historian authors can, but, but never my uh, novelist because, you know, you got to read, buy the book and read it. Uh, give us some tease out on some of the uh, things that are in the book, maybe some of the characters. Yeah, sure. So one of the main characters is a, is a, a young man named Damus. Damus is a noble uh, that's born with the power of prophetic visions. And so his ancient, which is my term for God. So think like Roman or Greek gods. Uh, they still visit the, the, the realm of Warminster from time to time. And they empower folks that are these prophets and seers. And in the book, they're called the Keepers. And Damus is away at the Cathedral of the Watchful Eye, which is the home of the Keepers, being trained to be a Keeper. And he keeps having a recurring nightmare. And it just so happens that his sort of, sort of power of, of the sight comes when he sleeps, uh, kind of like Edgar Cayce did in the, in the early 1900s. You know, he would have these dreams and some of them would come to pass, supposedly. Damus has that same dream, except his is a recurring nightmare. And he has it of a fallen keeper, a keeper that was once a very powerful man within his sect who did something to to upset his ancient. And they, uh, they took away his sight, both his physical sight and his metaphysical sight. And no one's been able to see this keeper. They thought for a while perhaps he was dead. And now Damus is seeing his return in his dreams. And so the book starts out in a pretty dark place uh, with oh. Damus having some recurring nightmares. And, you know, I actually got the idea from that when I was having, I had a set of recurring nightmares when I was the same age as Damus. I was perhaps mm -hmm. like in 11th and 12th grade in my first couple of years of college. And so I wow. took the recurring nightmares and I twisted it up into this sort of fantasy nightmare that involves, you know, you know, magic and, and, and myths and things like that. We were talking and joking before the show. I was looking at the, the two covers that are on your website. People can go see. And uh, the two covers for the two forthcoming book, I guess the second, third in the series. And the fourth is, is probably in the works. But I joked. I said, I think I'm going to have nightmares from the cover of your books. So they, they, they look quite scary and, of course, intriguing for people that love this genre. Yeah, you know, it, it's a little bit of a mix. I, I had someone write a review about it saying that it was – darker than typical fantasy novels are. And it is, you know, I, I have a, 
I have a penchant to write things that I think are, are dark and I like the Gothic. Mm-hmm. I've always been intrigued by vampires and stuff like that. And there's really none of that in my, my novels, save for the fact that, you know, I think to kind of grip an audience and if you're a reader or in this day and age, an audio listener to books, having someone tell you a story that scares you is something that gets you coming back. And for me, I'm, I'm a big lover of horror films and things like that. So I, I, I tried to make the bad guys the you know the big bad evil guys in 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 the book you know you know scare people as opposed to it just being a sword fight and so I, I hope people enjoy that it's a little different spin on people the genre yeah I also I, I kind of sprinkle in some sci-fi too I'm a big big sci-fi oh, yeah. guy yeah so like one of the things and I don't know if, if you're a fan of my genre or not but you know if you've ever watched the Game of Thrones or if you've ever watched mm. Lord of the Rings yeah. these societies have been around for a thousand years and yet they're still using swords and shields. Right. And so in my realm, I've created this scholar city that kind of advances science in a way that's safe for fantasy adventure people. You know, so Uh it's not, you know, there's no starships or ray guns, but instead there are kind of like, kind of like Q from James Bond, where, you know, Mm -hmm. you get an invention that helps the good guys at the exact right moment they needed that. And so some of those inventions come out of this, this scholar city of Abacus. So I I try to sprinkle in some of that sci-fi for my sci-fi readers as well. Now, is, is it largely about, you know, it mentions here an elven princess. Is, is everyone elves in the book or is that just some of the characters? It's just some of the characters, you know, and Mm -hmm. I would say that the, if you were to, you know, pick up the book and start reading it today through chapter, through chapter one, you're going to see the human element uh, through chapter mm-hmm. two, you're going to see the elven element, but in the books, you know, I've tried to take inspiration from previous fantasy authors and, and elves are kind of a, a race that's ubiquitous, but I put a spin on, on my own, right? So I have vermilion okay. elves, these elves that are tall and with alabaster skin and red eyes and red hair, thus the vermilion name or raven elves that are given their name because they have black eyes and black hair Ooh. and they, you know, so they have this ravenish look to them. And then you, you read my father was a peasant twerg and stumbled over that name. That's my spin on some of the dwarves or some of the gnomes that you'll find running around in a, in a Dungeons and Dragons module or a movie that you see with, where Gimli is there. You know, it's it's a way of, of, of making something my own, but also paying homage to, you know, previous, you know, fantasy novels and or movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I grew up, one of my favorite earliest books was J.R. Tolkien. And I'm trying to think of who else, the Sword of Shannara. Who wrote the Sword of Shannara? Terry series? Brooks. Terry, Terry Brooks. Brooks. And we, we talked to Terry about getting him on for his latest book. And I guess we missed his, I got into him too late. I missed his, his book tour, but he's, he's hopefully going to be showing up for the next one. But yeah, he, he wrote a ton of Sword of Shannara series books that I read. And so I was really into that genre. I mean, I still, I think I still have my original Tolkien books. They're horribly beat up. They're paperback. Uh, I think I have a beautiful gold version of it that's in a box of The Hobbit. But yeah, I, I, I still hold on to those to this day. It's a treasure for my childhood. But I, I love that genre. Yeah, I'm the same way. I, I got, when I was in fourth grade, I got introduced to the genre by a, an English uh, teacher of mine. My, my English teacher went on a medical sabbatical, and we, for the last month of the year, we had a substitute, and our curriculum became reading The Hobbit. <laughs> so oh, wow. he literally read it out loud to us and I loved it. It was fantastic. And from that day, I was, I was a fan of the genre and, and Terry Brooks was writing the sword of Shannara series, like uh-huh. sword, Elstone, wish song back when I was in high school. So again, oh, yeah. that was a follow on because Tolkien was gone at that time. And, yeah. and 
So you, once you got through his stuff, you had to find others like that. And, and Terry was, was one of my inspirations. He and a number of the authors that have adapted many of the Dungeons and Dragons modules, like Dragonlance or Ravenloft or something like the, you know, the, the Dark Elf trilogy for by R.A. Salvatore. They, those are are folks that you know I've tried to kind of follow in their footsteps, doing the same. Yeah. And then uh, Skyfi, I was really into Alan Dean Foster books. I would buy them all. Just buy them all and consume them. I loved, you know, the, I guess you, you call them science fiction, but you know, I mean, they, he was, he, the, the character building, it was pretty amazing. So, you know, you've gone from lobbyist to, to author and you've, you've been prolific. You've, you've gotten three books in the can, I guess, right? Yeah, we've got one out that came in the mm-hmm. last keeper. The second one is due out late summer and the third will be mm-hmm. due out right before the holidays of this year. And I hope to be able to complete the series by the end of Q1 of 2023. And then we'll see where that takes us. I mean, right now, you know, there's uh, plenty to do in terms of building my audience and, and lo- you know, loyal readers. Uh, mm-hmm. And I try to, you know, do shows like this to help to promote it. But also, you know, I've got some ideas for other books and series within the same realm, or I can write stuff outside of Warminster. And, and for right now, I think that, you know, my focus is knocking out these four books and doing the best job that I can in doing it. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. You know, we've got people on the show that come back about every six to nine months. So they, they're just amazing how they punch out books. And they're on, like, version 25, version 30 of, like, you know, different novels that they write for, you know, action or, right, the, you know, like, they're, they're kind of like the Ryan well, they're, they're not all like the Ryan, whatchamacallit. Like Tom uh, Clancy or Jack yeah, Reacher. Like, yeah, the Jack Reacher sort of things. But, you know, some of them are, are like Sherlock Holmes type characters. You know, they solve mysteries and stuff. But yeah, it's just, it's just amazing. Like they just, they just keep pumping out books and there's like 20 or 30 versions of that character. And then sometimes they have like multiple book series that split off and they've got, you know, 30 of Jane Doe and 30 of Bob Smith and, you know, it's just it's just amazing, and it's great that there's a, an awesome market out there where people love these books, they consume them, and that's why we love the show. I mean, books are awesome. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I mean, the, the marketplace for books has changed so dramatically in the last ten years. You've had a number of folks begin to, and there's my husky in the background trying to look out. Oh, the window, husky, looking for his his mother. But the you know the the marketplace has changed. You have a lot of folks that are doing independent publishing or using publishing service companies to help them, you know, edit and, and, and get published. In mm-hmm. other cases, you have something called rapid release, which are folks that are writing smaller books like novellas, you know, or 100 or 200 page novels. And that begets loyalty. You know, people are yeah. looking for the next and the next and the next. So it doesn't surprise me that you've had a number of successful authors on who are on their 25th or 30th book because you've got those sales, right? You've got people that are loyal to you. They want to read about those characters and, and or they want to read about the spinoffs of those characters yeah. too. I had my first book was out, and within the first week, I had someone tell me that two of the minor characters in the book were their favorites. Oh, you know, wow. and one wrote and said that they wanted to see. I have this like barbarian hobbit looking guy. It's not a hobbit; it's called a springheel. But imagine sort of like this barbarian berserker hobbit named Blue Connie, and you know he's a he's a drinker and he rides a war dog. And everyone said, "I want you to write." the adventures of blue Connie next. Oh, and then wow. someone else tell me that the villain, the, the, the absolute villain in the book, this guy named Incanus Drew Waith was their favorite character and reminded them of Boba Fett. 
And in both cases, I'm thinking to myself, what about the main characters? You know, like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. yeah, meanwhile, I'm like, I know where I'm going next, you know? <laughs> so it's just, it's strange how that happens sometimes, but you build, I think, not only loyalty with readers, but then there's a demand for that. And it's hard to walk away from it when you know that you yeah. can sell something and people want it. And I know, you know, I think guys like Terry Brooks, he turned his into a TV show and there are others out there like The Witcher has become a Netflix show. Oh, you know, yeah. So there are other options to, 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 to come with that too, in terms of being a, you know, an, um, an entrepreneur in a very specific marketplace that's changed very dramatically in the last decade. Yeah. If you can get your, if you can get, you know, those, what are the Hollywood options and stuff like that? That's mm-hmm. a really good game. We had, we had uh, J.A. Jantz on the show a couple of times. She's prolific. She I think she's written like 66 books or something now. And we've had her on twice and she talks about sometimes, yeah, her, her audience comes up to her books things. You, know, you really need to, like, I, I think one of the things is she's like, do you realize when your character is an alcoholic and it never occurred to her <laughs> <laughs> and uh, might have an alcohol problem. And she's like, wow. Okay. So yeah, it's interesting. You get that feedback like you're talking about from the audience and you're just like, well, maybe, maybe we should uh, kind of helps. It's kind of like uh, nice to help, uh, you know, help, maybe map out the future of the books and stuff. Yeah. Not only that, I mean, I, the question I get asked a lot is if your books were to ever be turned into movies, what care, who, what actor or actress would, and that's, that's a fun a, one. Yeah. Right? That's, yeah. that's a, that's a fun one to play. Cause you, so let's, you tell let's who you think it is and then you tell them who you think it is and you know, who knows, yeah. right. It was a fun question to answer. Did you have, yeah. Do you have any in mind that you have, were thinking about when you're, uh, yeah, you know, some of them are my ideas. Others are from people that have told me. And, and so I have to discount some of this because my wife has her favorite actors oh. and it's not because they would be good in their roles because she wants to see them. Right. So oh, okay. I, I give her, 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 you know, the, a little bit of a wide berth on that. And I figure, okay, I know she's just casting for her own, preference of man but in my case there's a couple of like i think clancy brown i don't know if you're a fan of the highlander movie back in the 80s or he played the the main prison guard in shawshank redemption clancy brown would be an excellent villain for me yeah there's a there's a character named dragich von lormark and and dragich is sort of the, the the guy in the book that no one likes and he's in and like I said, I'm not going to give away too many spoilers, but he's someone that ends up on the wrong side of, of your, your naughty and nice list, if you're saying. And I think he would make an excellent Von Lormark, without a doubt. Mm. I also think that, you know, Gemma Anderson would make a great Fox Dalton. I've got this sort of like red-haired, you know, rogue, young rogue who is kind of like the Han Solo uh, of the group. And, you know, I've seen her now in a, in a number of, of things, including a vampire movie called Byzantine. And I thought she did a great job. And she looks exactly like how I wrote the character. And so oh, wow. you get a couple of those that kind of pop into your head uh, from now and again. And then, you know, you get random people telling you that, oh, yeah, I get Peter Dinklage to play Blue Connie. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think any thing I'm doing is going to be able to afford Peter Dinklage. But thank you very much for giving me the suggestion. Yeah, <laughs> that gentleman I just googled him. He's he's got uh, flowing white hair, almost Gandalfish like now. At least in some of the photos I saw. I don't know how recent that is, but he he definitely can play someone like an elder sort of whatever dude. He has that kind of regal regal sort of you know look for a character. So yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, and he just he matches the character. So, I mean, he's monstrous, and in, and in the the Highlander movie, he carried a 
two-handed sword and this character, and oh, I'm already casting him, as you can tell, as long as like he's already playing it. But the character he would play would be a guy that wields two swords at the same time, sort of this Florentine-style fighting. And, you know, I, I, I think he would be perfect for it. He's, like you said, he's a little older than he was when he was playing these action roles in the 80s. But I think from the, the way that I've written the character, he could be both. And he just he just comes across as somebody that is that uh, could fit the Dragonspawn lore mark role to a T. There you go. There you go. So who's your favorite character in the book? So that's a little bit of a cheat. So I, I wrote that my favorite character is a character named Sir Ritter von, or Sir, Sir Ritter of, of Vulcaneer. And Sir Ritter is a, was a Dungeons and Dragons character that I played for many years. And so I adopted sort of the, his character arc as something that fits into the novel. And, you know, Sir Ritter is a trollborn, which is, you know, someone of mixed blood. His father is human and his mother is part, is, is raven elf. And so those of trollborn blood are often looked down upon in mm-hmm. their societies. And so Ritter suffers from, from that complex. He's, he's someone who has been given a very difficult job in guarding the borderlands for the king and they don't appreciate him for it. And then his, of course, his love interest is that elven princess that you mentioned before. And it's sort of a forbidden love, right? Where, you know, he's not allowed to be in love with her, but can't help himself. She starts to fall for him, but it's not, it's kind of foreboding. Uh, and I think that's what I, I try to do that in, in all of my novels. I think that there's a number of themes like forbidden love or just a general struggle or things like duty, like Sir Ritter, his job is to do things he doesn't want to do. And he, he does them just like any other soldier would without, without complaint. And so I think those, those kind of themes that you find oftentimes, I think people that are reading it can identify with, and as, as they identify with it, they want to read more. They want to, they want to be like Sir Ritter. They want to find out what happens to him. Does he, does he change that perception around? And I think that everyone likes to cheer for, for a guy like Sir Ritter and, you know, and it's, kind of a trope, you know what I mean? I know J.K. Rowling has the muggles, you know, you know, and, and they're mixed blood too, or you see this in, you know, in other novels, but I think in mine, there's a specific purpose for it. And so that's my favorite character, but I say that because, you know, I had to literally play him. I don't know if you've ever done my nerdy version of Dungeons and Dragons, but if you have, you understand that sometimes these things take their own, you know, a life of their own in your head and you don't forget them. <laughs> they're almost yeah. party. Yeah. Well, the genre is huge. I mean, there, there's people I know that are my age that are still playing D and D. And I remember in when I was growing up in uh, high school, which is you know a long time ago, considering I'm 54. You know, there were people D and D. You know, it was, I think it was kind of the latest thing back then. I think it had been around for a while, but it was getting really hot. And of course, yeah. you know, every all the people in the religious town were were screaming uh, about hellfire and damnation and Satanism, you know, whatever stuff. So, you know, they did that about video games too when video games first came out and pinball. They were like, Pac Man is 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 of the devil, which of course everyone knows it is. Well, clearly, uh, Pac Man, especially is Mrs. Pac Man. If you yeah, I didn't know if you knew that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the bow in her hair tips you off. It's like the six yeah, six. Yeah, I mean, that, <laughs> Donkey Kong clearly is an emissary of, of, of Lucifer. Everybody knows that. If you played the game, it's yes. it's hell to play. Um, yeah. So uh, it's a lot of quarters. Let's put it that way. People, I know half the Gen Zers are going, what are quarters? Yeah, what um, are you doing with quarters? I know. What quarters in Donkey Kong? Yeah, well, you're right. I mean, D&D D was popular for a long time, and then it, it got a came, it had a comeback. And yeah. part of the comeback, I would attribute to... Uh, the new generation of gamers. Uh, you know, yeah. I think that now people are playing Dungeons and Dragons live on TV. Like Critical yeah. Role 
and the folks like that, they have their own, uh, they have their, their own show or there's folks that do LA by night and they play a vampire game and those things, people will watch them and like they do nowadays. I mean, I, you, I, there are kids that watch G4 for, they watch gamers playing games. It's an entirely different thing. And, you know, you just have to get useful, but I think COVID helped that out a bit. When people were sitting at home, they couldn't do much. All of a sudden they started to Skype and play D and D and it's, Popularity is again on the on, on the rise and has been for the last couple of years. I think you even see celebrity guests come on those shows to play characters, and most of them are, you know, actors or actresses, and they make their way in for publicity stunts. But also, I think many of them, like Joe Manganiello, one of the you know another fellow Pittsburgher, like he's been playing for many years, and you know he's found uh, you know his his love for the game has, has returned with his research. The I I think too like. You know, like me, I still love everything old. Like I was looking at a box and playing some records the other day. Like seriously, I've, I have collector's items of Rush from my childhood and, and other albums. And, and I was going through, uh, some of my old boxes. I, I still have eight track tapes. There's kind of a, you know, a resurgence of that where a lot of us that are older were, were kind of evaluating our childhood. Uh, some of my friends that are my age, I saw they were making like Dungeons and Dragon dice on their 3D printer. Like, yeah. you know. I mean, we got money. We can pay for stuff now. And yeah. like, like, just like doing crazy stuff with it. Like, let's make a Dungeons and Dragons thing. And, you know, it, it's kind of fun that, you know, it takes us back to their childhood and brings us back to those wonderful memories. Anything more you want to touch on or tease on the book before we go out? You know, I would just, I would suggest that, you know, we, we've talked about Terry Brooks. We've talked about Tolkien. We've talked about mm-hmm. Dungeons and Dragons. And I would say that, you know, again, if you're a fan uh, of that genre, or if you watched Witcher on Netflix, mm-hmm. or even if you like the sci-fi stuff like Star Trek or Star Wars or Battlestar Galactica, Firefly, any of that stuff, this book is for you. You know, mm-hmm. I think it, you know to you know that kind of audience, folks that have open minds and and folks that you know like to throw themselves into fantasy. In my case, it's escapism for me. I deal in a very real world every day, and for mm-hmm. me to find an escape hatch and writing allows me to do that. And I like to share those stories with other folks. And and I think if those folks can appreciate some, just some, I mean, there's many more Brandon Sanderson, you know, you start Patrick Rothfuss, you can go through the list of them. If you like that stuff, I hope you'll like mine. There you go. There you go. Well, it's been wonderful having you on the show. Thank you for coming on. We certainly appreciate it. My pleasure, sir. And thanks again. I'll, and I'll, I'll, I'll reach out to you again in July when the next one comes out. Do it. Do it, please. We have so many authors that keep coming back. It's it's just like the, the, some of them just reschedule after the show for the next one because the scheduler goes out like nine months or something. It's funny. Give us your .com so people can find you on the interwebs and get to know sure. more about yeah, you. Yeah, it's www.jvhilliard.com. There you go. Order up the book, guys. You can find it wherever fine books are sold. And The Last Keeper, December 8th, 2021 by J.V. Hilliard. And, of course, you want to subscribe to his list. I think he's got a list on his website. You can get notifications for the upcoming books that will be coming out. You probably want to get this one in the can so you can read it and to be ready for the next stuff that comes out. Thanks so much for tuning in. Go to YouTube.com, Fortress Chris Foss. Refer the show to your family, friends, and relatives. Go to all of our places across the interweb, Goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Foss, and all of our groups. Thanks for tuning in. Be good to each other. Stay safe, and we'll see you guys next time.